Okay, you heard me, I think. <clears throat> the difference between coaching and counseling is that usually when you go for counseling, you go to someone to tell you what to do. You have a problem, you go to them, they counsel you as to what to do. Coaching doesn't tell you what to do. Coaching believes that the answer to your question is within you. The job of the coach is to help you find it because it lies within you. Most of the executives in Silicon Valley have a coach. Most of them. They pay big money for a coach. A good coach, a really good coach, an executive could pay $1,000 an hour for a good coach. And so you think that the decisions that your executive is making, he came up with that? He did, but it was a coach who guided him. Tiger Woods had a coach. Muhammad Ali had a coach. So coaches are basically people who help you go within yourself, find the answer to your issue, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a problem. And then you walk away realizing, okay, this is what I need to do. Coach helped me find that. I won't charge you $1,000 this afternoon. Uh, I'm going to do it for nothing, just, uh, just to kind of assist and to, to help whoever might be here. This, this idea occurred to me this morning, and I must confess, I've never done this. I preach all over, but I've never done this. But I just felt this morning that there might be somebody that might be here this weekend who just I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to help me work through what I'm working through. And so I just offered that free of charge. If nobody comes, it's great. If you come, if you want help, that's great. But it's there if you desire it. So let's pray for a moment before we begin. Our Father, we are grateful for a, a wonderful night of rest. <clears throat> and we look forward to the rest of the day in which you have already given us grace and mercy for us to experience and enjoy. It's our time now where we look again into your word and we pray for your guidance and your insight, your wisdom. Teach us what you want us to learn today about you. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray, amen. If you recall, it is my argument that, thank you, it is my argument that Jesus <clears throat> mastered a calm presence and that his calm presence really came from the realization of who God was, what God's will was, and how God works. And understanding how God works enabled him to rest in God and therefore not yield to the stresses and anxieties of the environment in which he was trying to, to do the Father's will. Now my attempt this weekend is to illustrate that with story. That rather than just telling you that, I wanted to show you that. And to show you that by how God manifested his ways in the dealings with his first called people, the children of Israel. 
I want to this morning continue the next stage of that by taking you to Exodus chapter 2. And I want to read chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then try to see what that teaches us about God's ways. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in, any, in a place that among the reeds by the river bank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, last night, I argued that no matter what happens to us, it cannot stop the purposes of God or his plans for our lives. My argument was that Pharaoh can squeeze us, but God will bless and multiply us and use the squeezing to serve our good and his purpose. My example came straight out of Exodus 1, using God's dealings with his people, the nation of Israel, and chapter 2 takes us out of the general population and such us down in the living room of one family. It's one thing to experience stress and anxiety as a collective group. It's something else when it invades our home. The narrator does not paint a warm picture. In fact, he paints a chilling, frightening, scary time to be an Israelite in Egypt. If Hollywood was telling this story, we would be instantly captured by the mystery of it all. A mother torn with the anguish of what would appear to be the abandoning of her son. The music would help us sense the danger and the ongoing fear of someone discovering her illegal son and terminating his life. We will be pulled into the suspense and drama of her laying her son into a basket and placing it in the very river Pharaoh had designated as the vehicle of death for every Hebrew boy. 
We would feel the fear, the confusion, the uncertainty that goes along with stress and anxiety up close and personal. Where is God? Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had promised that Abraham's seed would number the sands of the seashore? How does God respond to his people in moments like this? How does he respond when we are stressed out and things happen to us and we're tormented with pain? Well, my first conclusion would be that God is a planner and is actively planning our victory. If the Bible is God's self-revelation, and it is, it reveals that God is a strategic planner. He planned for us to be with him in relationship before we were even born. Hebrew, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 in the Living Bible says, Moreover, because of what Christ has done, we have become gifts to God that he delights in. For as part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen from the beginning to be his, and all things happen just as he decided long ago. He planned for a relationship with each one of us. We're sitting at this retreat because God planned it that way. God planned for you to be redeemed, and he planned for you to be at this meeting, and he planned your life. He planned not only for us to have a relationship with him, he planned what our future would be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38, in the same message, the world didn't deserve them making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one complete whole, their lives of faith not complete, apart from ours. Your future has already been planned by God. He planned wonders and miracles for us to enjoy, too many to count. Psalms 40, verse 5 says, O Lord my God, you have done many miracles for us. Your plan for us are too numerous to list. If, try, if I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to an end to them the wonderful manifestations of God's grace and mercy in your life, God planned it that way. He planned for you to see his hand. He planned for you to enjoy the grace and mercy that you experience. It's not God's nature to be reactionary. There's nothing in the scripture that suggests that God is reactionary. Although God's name is not mentioned in chapter 2, until we get to the end of it. It is clear that the author wants us to see God had a plan and is working it out on behalf of his people. It may have looked like Jochebed was taking a chance in putting baby Moses in the Nile, but in reality, it was all part of the plan. It may have appeared to be a coincidence that the princess was bathing at that particular moment in time but it was all 
part of the plan. One could say, what luck that Miriam, Moses' sister, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Man, how luck is that? No, it's part of the plan. God had planned it, and he is working out his plan in that situation, just like he's working out his plan in yours. If he planned for you to have a relationship with him, and if he planned your future, and none of these plans can be stopped, he's got a plan when you get stressed out. He's got a plan when you get filled with anxiety. Anxiety cannot stop what God has planned for your life as well. It is not his nature not only to be reactionary, it is not his nature to address only one issue at a time in his plan. God paints with a wide brush. He will accomplish more than one thing when he's working out his plan in our lives. Last night I mentioned Joe's story from slavery to the throne. But his story is more than just what was happening to him. What was God doing with Joseph was not just for Joseph. There were other things that God was accomplishing at the same time. I can think of at least six issues God achieved in his plan for Joseph. It was more than just getting Joseph out of prison that God was after. He needed to provide a way for Egypt to survive. He needed to provide a way for Israel to survive. He needed to provide a place for Israel to grow as a nation. He needed to provide a place for Joseph's brothers to repent. He needed to test the growth of Joseph's heart. He needed a situation to show Egypt that he was God. You see, when God was taking care of Joseph's situation, he was also taking care of other situations. He paints with a wide breast. You see, whatever is happening in your life, I can assure you that God has more in his plan than just getting you through. That there's other things that he achieves while he gets us through, whatever it is that we might be experiencing. Just like in Joseph's life, there are more things than just you, just like God will do the same thing when he's working through your life. While God is God all by himself, he chooses not to respond to our human struggle by himself. God chooses to use people to respond to situations in our lives. When things happen, God looks for, finds, and uses allies. Israel is in a dilemma. The oppression is unbearable. And now Pharaoh has made it public policy to destroy the lives of all Hebrew male boys. How does God respond to that? By finding and using allies who don't even know that they are God's allies to carry out God's plan. God uses non-believing allies. What is the likelihood that the very instrument of death, that crocodile-infested Nile River, 
and the daughter of the man who created Israel's problem in the first place becomes the means through which God will work to solve his people's problems. Think about that. Talk about irony. Who would have thought that God would take the very place and the very daughter of the person who's trying to destroy his people and use them and the place to demonstrate the working of his plan for his people. You see, people don't have to be believers in God for God to use them. The princess was a heathen as far as the Israelites were concerned. And yet God opened her heart to a child and then used her to save the nation of Israel from destruction. Because of her, Moses got the best education possible. Because of her, Moses learned all the wisdom of Egyptian culture. Because of her, Moses learned Egyptian law and morality and so on. In fact, she saw to it that Moses got the best of everything that Egypt had to offer. So God took a heathen, and he used that heathen to prepare the leader that would champion his response to the oppression of his people and to bring about victory through the very person that you would least expect to be the instrument of God. Don't be surprised if God uses a person who does not believe. Don't be surprised if God uses a person who does not believe like you to help you when you get into a stressed and anxious situation. God not only uses non-believers to carry out his plan, but he uses non-powerful people to carry out his plan. He not only used Pharaoh's daughter, he used those who the society had rejected. He didn't use the power brokers to save his people. He avoided the major players in Israel's deliverance. In chapter 1, in verse 15, he uses two midwives, which I talked about last night. The first users of civil disobedience. Two women. Two women who is not significant, but God used them. In chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11, he uses Jochebed, Moses' mother, a nobody. God used her to, to be the instrument through which he would raise up a leader for his people. In chapter 2 and verse 4, he uses Miriam, who was probably around 10 to 12 years old, who was clever enough, clever enough, clever enough to so deal with a powerful princess that she got her mother to take care of her brother and get paid at the same time for her own child. It's not unlike God to use the powerless of this world to do his bidding. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, God has deliberately chosen to use ideas the world considers foolish and of little worth in order to shame those people considered by the world as wise and great. One of the exciting things that intrigues me about this narrative is that Moses survived because God used women. 
that whole scenario is about women. God's plan to save and deliver Israel came about totally because of women bucking a male-dominated society. I would think you sisters should be empowered by this narrative. God has always used women. And when someone starts telling you that you can't do this because you're a woman, you should tell them that you should read the whole Bible. Because when you read the whole Bible, not a few isolated texts, you'll see that sexism is not the use that God supports. Don't miss God's help just because it doesn't come through the powerful. Don't miss his help just because it doesn't come through the officials. Don't miss his help just because it comes through those who don't have titles before or after their name. God delights in partnering with those that society rejects as significant and making them allies in responding to our human pain. And thirdly, God responds to our pain, our anxiety, our stress, through the undetected means of normal sequence of life, revealing his activity only after he has finished what he has done. No one knew when Jochebed put Moses in the water that God was orchestrating that moment. It just looked like a woman trying to save her son. No one knew that when the princess saw Moses and loved him and decided she would keep him and raise him as her own, that God was orchestrating her choices. It just looked like a normal process of life. God doesn't make grand announcements about his activity. He simply goes about his work, showing us after it's all over that he's been working it out all along. When I first moved to the barrier, I came, I came to the barrier to run a Bible school in San Francisco called Fellowship Bible Institute. You know, when I first came, I met with a board, and uh, the board, before I moved, met me at a, a hotel close to the airport, and they told me about this Bible school, and how it needed a leader, and wanted me to move from the East Coast and run this school. And they cleverly kept me at the airport hotel until it was time for my plane to leave. I never got a chance to see the Bible school that they told me I was coming to run. Because if I had seen that Bible school before I had told them I would come, I would have never left the East Coast <laughs> it comes to that. When I drove up and looked at that school for the first time with my wife and my kids in the car, and my wife looked at the school, and she looked at me, and she said, uh, honey, is this it? And I'm 
figuring out with the address, yeah, this, this is it. And she, I have a very gentle wife. She simply said, mm. <laughs> When I took over that school and began to give some, some body to its ministry, and we started, we started an elementary school. And the elementary school began to grow and take on its, uh, its shape. And of course, we had to hire a principal and hire a teacher. And of course, I forgot to tell you that there was no real money in the bank when I came. They promised me a salary of $35,000. At that time, it wasn't too bad. But I found out after I got there, they only had $18,000 in the bank. There was no there was no plan for how I was going to be paid. It was up to me to raise the money, not only to pay myself, but to pay the people who I was hiring to do the ministries. But God got us through that. And we started the program, and the school began to grow, and everything began to go, go just, just fine. And we got to the point where now I had to find $25,000 every 15th and 30th to make sure that everybody who was working for us was paid. And I kid you not, those were very, very stressful times. Very stressful times. Because God has a way of not supplying things when you want them supplied. Like 14th, 13th, would, not 15th. 14th would be good. He has a way of not doing it when you want it and the way you want it. And so there would be times when it got to be the 14th and I didn't see, the, I didn't have the money to pay people. And these people were married. They had children. They had mortgages. And I knew I was responsible for paying them. And there were times I just didn't know, what, what am I going to do? And sometime, or all the time, if God didn't have it there by 13th and 14th, by the 15th, somehow, he paid these people. Somehow, on the 15th, when I needed it, it was there. And I remember getting down and saying, God, you know, if you're going to provide it, on the 15th. Why put me through this stress? Why not give it to me ahead of time? Why create such anxiety in me? And I felt like God said to me, uh, I'm not creating stress. You are creating I promised that I would provide. Have I not provided? You know, I question sometimes why, why doesn't God just do it the way I want it done? If he's working it out, at least let me know the plan so that I can see that there's a plan in place to make sure that the funds are there 
15th and 30th. It took me a while to figure out why God doesn't show us the plan. Because if God showed us the plan, we would try and help him get the plan done. And you follow that? If I knew the plan, I would help to make sure that the plan was done at the time that would give me the comfort that I needed. But I think God doesn't share the plan because he doesn't want us to help him out. It's like Moses when he grew up and he saw the the Egyptian uh, beating another Hebrew and he goes over and he kills the Egyptian. He's going to help God out. God's got a plan, but he hasn't showed it to Moses, so Moses is going to help God out. And he screws up what God is trying to do. If you remember, it creates great discord among the people because Moses is trying to get involved in helping God carry out his plan. What, God, what Moses didn't know was that God had a plan and was working out his plan. And Moses was a part of the plan, but not the way Moses thought he was. Moses had not yet gotten trained to do what God wanted him to do in the plan. Moses needed that time in the wilderness in order to be the kind of leader to lead out two plus million people. He wasn't ready for what it was that God had planned for him. God couldn't use him yet. So God didn't show him the plan because he knew that Moses would try to help. You see, until God shows us what he wants us to do, we don't know enough to help. And when we try to help, we only screw things up. We aren't who we think we are. We don't know as much as we think we know. We don't see all the components that are involved in whatever it is that uh, we are addressing. Whatever issues we are facing that's causing us stress, we don't know enough about what's going on. Because remember I said, God paints with a wide brush. We paint with a single, small brush because we're only interested in our stuff. God paints with a wide one because he's accomplishing more than our stuff. And since we don't know, we screw things up when we try to fix them ourselves. What we usually see is symptoms, not causes. And usually what we try to address is symptoms, not causes. God wants to address causes, not just symptoms. But the text says that God heard, God saw, God remembered, and his plan, as undetected as it may be, will still provide victory for his people. See, what I'm trying to say to you this morning, people, is that God is at work. He's at work in what's going on in your life. Those things that are causing you stress and anxiety, God is at work there. 
He hasn't abandoned. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't left. Remember, he's not a reactionary God. He's a planner. So then the question would be, given that reality, what then should we do? And my response would be, heed the words of the psalmist who said, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. When I was a young Christian and I would go to older people for counsel, it always made me mad when they would say to me, wait on the Lord. I don't want to wait on the Lord. I want whatever's going on to be fixed right now. And would always make me kick cans when I left them because I couldn't deny that they were older and wiser and knew better, but they gave me that stupid answer, wait on the Lord. Now I'm there. And I'm offering that to you. And I know how you feel because I know how I felt. But now on the other side, I see the wisdom of what they told me. Wait. Wait. And you may say, Stan, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I don't. But wait. If something doesn't happen by tomorrow, you have no idea. I don't know that, but wait. I can't take another bit of this. No, you can take more than you think. Wait. If you were really at the end, God would have done something. If he hasn't, it's because he wants you Wait on the Lord. He's got a plan. He's working out his plan. His love for you is unquestionable. He knows how much you can bear. You accomplish nothing from stress. You accomplish nothing from being anxious. So just... Wait, and let God do his thing. The song said, he hasn't failed me yet, and he won't, because he's God.